0: Hi, listeners. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Corporate Governance Capsule Collection with Pam Marcogliese and Lisa Bieber. Today, we're joined by Sarah Solom, the Managing Partner for our Silicon Valley office. We'll be talking about effective stakeholder communications, particularly focusing on how companies think about their intercorporate communications and view their employees, an area that's really taken off on the West Coast. In part, we've seen this dynamic change as more employees are compensated with equity, and we've been working with companies grappling with employees as activists. We've got a dynamic where an employee is an employee, a shareholder, an activist, and a consumer in an environment where social media gives a broad platform to all stakeholders. I'd like to start our discussion talking about how these dynamics have changed the way companies think about communications with one of their most important stakeholder groups. Pam, do you want to talk a little bit about that today?
1: Sure. Thanks, Lisa. So if you go back several years, it used to be the case that issues relating to proxy season, were really confined to proxy season. And they were also largely involving the shareholders. And so it would be a conversation between a company and a shareholder, sometimes over a shareholder proposal, sometimes over some amount of engagement. But once proxy season was over, the issue was over, and there weren't that many people other than the shareholders who necessarily wrote the proxy statements. That is completely different today. Now these issues really have a year-round quality. So, for example, there is year-round engagement. Companies do off-season engagement. So this is no longer just confined to proxy season. But what's interesting is that there are far more stakeholders that are interested in these issues. And as you mentioned, Lisa, one of them is employees they are very vocal around many of the topics that shareholders bring in terms of shareholder proposals. There are town halls, there are employee communications. And as you mentioned, the other piece that makes this very different as well is social media. And so companies need to take a much broader approach to their communications because they need to make sure that the messaging works across the board for all of these different purposes and also for all of the different stakeholders. I'd also say in the process of working with companies that are
2: thinking about going public, on the one hand, many of these companies' culture has been one of great transparency, where employees are used to weekly all-hands meetings and hearing a lot from their CEOs and founders about how the company is doing. But then on the other hand, sometimes we get to drafting the IPO prospectus and not surprisingly, The first drafts of it are very much focused on investors and how investors will view the company. But one of the areas we spend a lot of time on is, okay, great, we've got the investor points, but of course, everyone in the world will be reading and tweeting about and posting about this IPO prospectus and how will it be seen by all those other constituents And employees are, of course, one of the most important ones for any company. So these dynamics pervade everything a company publishes and how it operates on a daily basis. And there are a lot of growing pains for companies, particularly around the time of the IPO, on both becoming a little less transparent, not for the sake of becoming less transparent, but for the sake of putting controls in place. But on the other hand, making sure that employees of these companies feel plugged in, that their voices are being heard, and that the company is doing what many of these employees hope for, both for them and in their broader communities and for areas like climate change and other topics. But maybe we could pivot from there. One of the things I'd love to hear from you, Lisa, about are what you see as the key issues companies should be focused on, especially because of COVID and also because of the racial justice protests we've been seeing.
0: Thanks, Sarah. I I think what you said about really needing to be mindful of how communications are resonating across all constituencies is really key here. And for a number of years, we've been talking to clients about the need to conduct effective shareholder engagement. And we've switched that language a little bit recently to talk about stakeholder engagement. And that's been a very intentional switch on our part. And it's not meant to play lip service to kind of a broader group view of thinking, but really to broaden the umbrella of what it means to be engaged with different constituencies. And you mentioned things like all hands meetings and transparency, but there's a lot of companies where that's not really embedded in their culture. But nonetheless, in order to be effective, in order to understand the dynamics that are going on. I think companies really need a mechanism to solicit and engage with their constituencies, and that is increasingly employees. So it's not a matter of top-down sending misses to employees and saying, this is what we're thinking today, but it's figuring out what is important to employees, figuring out how to convey that to them, And then also really being intentional about the ways in which communications happen and the ways in which companies can appear tone deaf. And I think a lot of the missteps that we've seen was not because they're being bad actors. It's because they weren't thinking about what one group is going to think about the information and disclosure that's been put out to another group.
1: I completely agree with you, Lisa. I I would say, and I think companies are getting a lot better at this as well. I think the way to approach it is less in a reactive way and much more in a proactive way. So meaning to say that companies, I think, have been spending a lot of time over the last several years thinking about these issues for themselves and they do understand what is important to them. And I think taking a step back and figuring out what that message is for them and how they want to communicate it as opposed to just responding whenever there's a question in the door allows them to create their own coherent communication strategy on these issues. And I think that does allow them to be a lot more thoughtful about how it will resonate with the various stakeholders that they think will be interested in these topics. And so, Sarah, I have a question for you. So what have you seen work particularly well in how companies manage these types of communications? I think
2: this is going to sound weird, maybe, but the word that comes to mind is empathy and in empathetic communications. And the reason I think it sounds weird is because we're talking about a corporation communicating to its employees, but it's always an individual who's communicating it. And if companies spend the time to think through how their message will be received, what their concerns may be of their employees, and they're proactive about reaching out to employees, I think that can work surprisingly well even when the message that's being communicated may not be what an employee would hope for. And we saw some of that during, you know, the early days of the pandemic when some companies had to make tougher decisions around how many employees they could keep and those sorts of things. But I really think being proactive and being empathetic and truly empathetic has to come from an authentic place. I think that can be very, very powerful. It takes a lot of time to get that right. And I know some companies and some leaders of very big companies spend a lot of time making sure that they're thinking of how they'll be received and getting the tone right.
0: Sarah, what are some of the kind of corporate speak qualities you think that would comprise what we are calling, you know, empathy, which is really the core of treating your employees with, you know, respect, I think.
2: Maybe it comes down to a company having a well-defined mission and well-defined values. It's a really good question. It's interesting coming across so many different companies that the cultures can be extremely different, but there's one who comes to mind in response to your question, where in almost every meeting I had with them, their four values would come up. And at first, I thought it was almost a little bit corny. Did they drink the Kool Aid? What is it? I don't quite understand. But I realized that it worked so well for them. And in every meeting, if they needed to make a decision, whether it was something big or small, everyone had those four values in mind. I mean, I did by the end of that IPO as well. And I knew, okay, well, this doesn't exactly align with the company's you know, one of their four values, which was humility. And basically, I think not overpromising and under delivering. That's just one of the examples of that company's values. So there've been a number of proposals in the recent proxy season that have been asking
0: for employee representatives to be on boards. What do you think of the short or medium term odds of the success of these proposals are? And what do you think companies should, should do about it, Pam?
1: It's a good question, Lisa. So to put it in context, there have been very few of these so far. And in this country, it's not something that companies do. However, there are, of course, countries in Europe where companies are required to have employee representatives in some capacity on boards. What I would say is that it's largely a reflection of this broader theme we've been talking about and the importance of employees as stakeholders and how critical they are to a company we've obviously moved to an economy where employees are really the most critical assets of a company and so making sure that companies understand the dynamics surrounding their employees are key and I think that you know, whether or not there is an employee representative on the board is almost besides the issue. I think what is really critical is that boards are focused on employees and how employees are treated and culture and tone at the top and everything that impacts employees, because the recruiting and training and retention and promoting of employees, I think everybody has realized is really critical.
2: Yeah, I don't have anything to add. It's hard to imagine us going anytime soon to a model where we have employee representatives on the board. But on the other hand, many governance type initiatives have started in Europe and then we suddenly see them take hold here in the States. So you never know. I think your fundamental point is for many companies, all of their assets walk out the door every night, right? All of their employees. And it is extremely important to keep them engaged. Maybe this is a generational thing, But for the millennial generation, the generation younger than me, this isn't just about money for them. So these companies, many of them who've had uh, some of these issues come up are extremely successful companies. And many of their employees have made a lot of money off of their equity. It goes well beyond having a nice stock price and people being happy with their company from that perspective. They expect more from their employers then, you know, a nice value from their stock. They want to know that their companies are doing good in the world and doing well by the employees. So let me throw this open to both of you. What do you think comes next on the employee agenda? Maybe starting with you, Lisa?
0: I think it'll depend. I think the world will somewhat be divided between the companies that get this right and the companies that still have work to do. And for the companies that get this right, I think what you said about the employees being really motivated and having an almost kind of, as you phrase it, drink the Kool-Aid kind of devotion to their companies and to believe in their mission are going to be happy and productive employees on the whole. And there's certainly been instances of companies where their public perception is that they're a great place to work and people are really happy to be there and go in every day, invigorated and ready to produce. And for the companies that still have some work to do, I think they're going to find that what's next on their employee agenda is going to, in some ways, overlap with what's next on the investor agenda. Because as investors start to understand these differences, and as you pointed out, the companies that do this well tend to have good returns. They tend to be doing better. Their employees tend to be better compensated in the long term because the value of their equity goes up. But the value of stock is the principal thing that investors are measuring companies on. And so the interests there are really very aligned. And so I think that there's going to be a real merge between what is important to employees and what becomes important to investors. And so you're going to start to see that as all of these groups are interconnected in terms of communication, they're also going to become in some ways interrelated in terms of their interests and what they want to see companies do and how they want companies to address these important issues.
1: I agree with you, Lisa. I think that companies that do get this right will be companies that realize that and also realize that they are not really at odds with these issues because they are strategic issues. And so it'll be important for the companies to understand them and make sure they are prepared to address them and communicate about them. And I think that's going to go all the way up and down, up and down the corporation, right from the board, all the way down to the junior employees. And I think it's, an exciting time to see how these conversations will evolve. I wanted to thank both of you today for taking the time. I think your remarks have been very thoughtful. I suspect we will have lots more conversations on these topics. So thank you very much.